Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I heard a story of a guy who imported a bunch of wine fridges and they all had their temperature gauge in Celsius instead of Fahrenheit. And he marketed it as, would you ever want to put your French wine in a non-French wine cellar? Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. What's up, guys? Global from Asia, episode 159. And we are in the midst of Chinese New Year, the year of the rooster, or as many would say, the year of the cock. And I am a cock. Born in 1981, my birth year. So also my wife, Wendy, is a cock. And it's going to be a great year for us and all the other cocks and non-cocks in the Chinese New Year calendar, that is. All right. And I am going to be on digital detox when this show goes live. I am going to be in the middle of nowhere, Guangdong province uh, with my wife and Maggie uh, by the beach somewhere with uh, no internet and try my best to do nothing and kind of clear my mind. I know some of my friends, Rico from Made in China podcast and others have said it's really helpful. So I will Bring my laptop and mobile phone and hotspot, but I'm promising myself uh, I'm going to try to let Wendy hold it and not let me check it too much. And uh, I'm going to hopefully open my mind. Also clear my mind a lot for the Cross-Border Summit in Shenzhen, April 20th and 21st, crossbordersummit.com. It's going to be a great two-day event. Okay, and now for this week's show, we have Amazon selling wizard, Will Trilland, and he is on finally on the show talking Operation Dragon Boat and Amazon International. So let's tune in. Okay, welcome everybody to another Global From Asia podcast. We have a special one today, Will Churland on the line. Thanks for being here, Will. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, so you're you're like the world traveler. We've met up in, in Hong Kong and you're at different conferences and, and business. So how are things for you now? Where, whereabouts are you? I'm currently back in my home state of Minnesota. But uh, on Sunday, I'm heading out to Berlin to go speak at a conference and then hang out in Portugal for a couple of weeks. So I won't be back home for too long. Okay. Spent the holidays back home and uh, back on the road. Exactly. It's a little too cold for me to hang out here all winter. So I had to find some sort of escape. <laughs> Cool. Well, yeah, I'm excited for today's topic. We were talking before the, you know, prepare for the show and and you suggested we talk about Operation Dragon Boat and PL, uh, private label sellers on Amazon doing internationally and, and China. So thanks. Thanks again for sharing with us today. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not exactly sure how much uh, value I can really add on this topic, but uh, it's I know it's one that just no one's talking about. And so I thought that it'd be a good chance for at least me, you being in China and me knowing a decent amount about Amazon. We probably are two of the better people to talk to about this. subject. Yeah, I know. I'm excited. So uh, I guess, first of all, maybe probably people that haven't even heard the keyword Operation Dragon Boat. What, what is what, what are we talking about today? So Operation Dragon Boat is kind of a murky thing still. Um, the reports, like in the actual like firsthand reports that people have written up about it, are still don't exactly know what it is. But it's something to the effect of Amazon is filing to – they started this in like 2011, I think. But uh, Amazon is filing to become a freight forwarder. 
and to start, um, they they already started renting their own 747 jets, and they want to basically control their entire supply chain from end to end. So they are going to pick up the containers themselves in China, send them to their fulfillment center, and then eventually they would love to be able to fulfill each order themselves. And so they can, can not only control the customer experience from end to end, so they can make sure the customer has the best experience possible, but at the same time, cut out all of the kind of waste from end to end and make sure that the customer gets the lowest price possible. So basically, Operation Dragon Boat, Amazon's becoming a freight forwarder and is trying to take control of all freight, including sea freight, which is has been kind of one of the more complicated and more um, kind of old school um, areas that Amazon hasn't really focused too much energy on yet until now. That's, that is definitely true. I mean, we've had, I think you, you work together with, with Ash too, right? On on some of your retreats, we can talk about actually now too. But he was on the show earlier, and uh, he was talking about ocean shipments, and F, you know, it's a pretty complex process. I don't know if we can get into it today. I think we talked about it before, but yeah, I mean, there's lots of different companies involved, and uh, you know, like three or four different steps, right? You what you think you buy from a factory, and you you get to the FBA distribution center, you know. From what people tell me in my own experiences, it's like three or four companies, even if you're good at it, would you say? Oh, yeah. It's uh, interesting hearing the CEO of Flexport talk about this because he, he'll say that it's, uh, freight is this multi-hundreds of billions of dollars a year business. And it's still most of the business is done on like post-it notes and phone calls. And it's just unbelievable that it's a, you you call one guy up and he gives you a price. You write it down real quick. You call another guy up. He gives you a different price. You call the first guy up. He matches that first price. You call the second guy up. He goes a little bit lower. You call the other yeah. guy up. Okay, then he is good. You know, and it's like, wait, what are we doing here? Yeah, so it's, you would never do this at the post office. It's really nuts. So it seems like Amazon's ready to disrupt just like they've done that to a lot of different industries. But yeah, I mean, I think we're all waiting for this. It's really inefficient and kind of annoying. Um, but put to the name, uh, Dragon Boat, obviously that's, those not familiar, like China has Dragon Boat Festival and it's kind of a Chinese used word, I would say, culturally. Like uh, any insights of the name or is it just some random name? For, for, from my point of view, it's just some random Chinese name. You may have more um, background knowledge of there's, if there's like a uh, legend of the Dragon Boat or something like that. But uh, <laughs> for me, it's like the first thing time I heard Dragon Boat, the first thing I connected in my head before they even told me what it was is that Amazon's doing something to do with shipping from China. That was yeah. my first thought because I like, heard Dragon Boat and I heard boat and all those stuff kind of in between. I thought, okay, what could this possibly be? And that my basically was spot on. Yeah, it's true. It's about, yeah, of course there's boats and there's, I always think of the Dragon Boat Festival, which is one of the, I guess it's about 12 or so holidays in China and that that's one of them. So it's a day off, it's a recognized, everybody gets a day off of, off of work and uh, you eat sticky rice, which is it's bamboo leaves wrapped in like a triangular shaped rice cake with meat inside. And uh, if you, I have never seen the actual races, but I guess they have Dragon Boat races in different parts of China. For a call, you know, from from the old times, but yeah, that's that's all I can think of too. But true, I guess uh, most products are manufactured in China, so it's it is Chinese related with the with the shipping. Mm-hmm. So, so today, you know, what I think we're going to really kind of discuss between us is this whole idea of 
I think traditionally most listeners and most business owners are buying from factories, shipping to their warehouse, you know, FBA or third party fulfillment in the West and selling in the in the West, but not many yet are tapping into China or even specifically more Amazon China. So so that's gonna be more possible, you think, with Dragon Boat, or is that just something maybe people should be considering anyway? I always, maybe I'm just wrong, but I always think of Dragon Boat going more from China to the U.S. than U.S. to China. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I wonder, I haven't even thought of it as much in the, the thought that um, basically, yeah, we could use it vice versa and get our products into Amazon China. I know that Amazon is trying their best to get the Chinese market going. I think they might be focusing a little bit more time on India right now. I keep seeing ads for Amazon India. But I think one of the main things that I know we talk about it in nauseum with private label sellers in the U.S. is that, like, you need to build a brand. A brand is everything, blah, blah, blah. But, like, with the Chinese um, market, I feel like building the brand is everything. It The majority of reason why these I feel these Chinese consumers buy U.S. products is because they have U.S. brand names. Mm-hmm. They can get any everyday items for cheap that's not the reason why they're getting them they're getting them to show off their new lease their new status as middle-class citizens is that kind of the, the yeah so vibe you get over there too? yeah generally i think it comes down to trusting their own products which is sad you know mm. most chinese will be embarrassed to to admit but there's a scandal this most famous was the uh, i forget the chemical they put in baby powder so like i think mm-hmm. you know i think you and listeners oh i have a couple of kids so uh, my wife will never let me buy Chinese brand uh, baby milk powder because maybe they'll probably never do it again. But some, you know, I think that's the difference in quality between China and overseas is they sometimes cut corners on materials or suppliers, you know, for c- components and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it it killed babies like, I don't know, six years ago, I think 2010, maybe don't quote me in a year. But uh, so that was one big, big milestone where Chinese just didn't trust their own factories or their own brands. Um, whereas obviously we know like Walmart's pretty stringent and, uh, and other brand, other distributors and other brands about their quality. So the Chinese just don't, don't really trust. And then even if it's bought inside of China, even if it has the brand, they're afraid it's fake, right? We've been to Chinatowns mm-hmm. in different parts of the world, right? So you can, uh, you know, they're kind of notorious for knockoffs and fake products. So the Chinese consumer, which is a growing middle class, wants to get these quality goods and they want to uh, make sure it's really the brand and really not going to, of course, the worst is, you know, your, your kid dying, but, you know, even any other health, especially health or, or uh, you know, like beauty related products. That's why you see a lot of that being bought from overseas. But it's really about trusting that it's a the real brand and that the brand is quality and that it is what going to do what it says it's going to do. Uh, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And yeah, with the, the powdered milk, it's crazy on the like Hong Kong China border. Yeah. All the people with their lines of powdered milk and like the limit, whatever, you can only bring five gallons at a time. Yeah, and all that. Yeah. If you had no idea what the, the background was on that, you would think it was the world was ending. Exactly. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's really crazy. Uh, another friend has dog dogs here and he likes to, he tries to bring dog food in from the US, but that's forbidden in China. So he's actually gotten it seized at customs like as if it was drugs man it's serious you can't bring in dog food i guess there's some kind of i guess because it has bizarre i guess it has raw vegetables or egg or something inside of it that they think is not safe to bring in but um 
but yeah, I mean, I think this goes into kind of cross-border trade, but I think it was a couple of months ago when Amazon Prime announced China cross-border. So you can uh, buy from Amazon US or internationally. And if you buy over a couple hundred RMB of goods, it'll be shipped to you for free to China from overseas. So what what happened, I've, I did it once. Uh, I bought protein powder from the US on Amazon through Amazon China. And uh, it calculates to ship. Well, the shipping's free because I did over the minimum spend and I have the Prime membership. But uh, they'd show you the tax. So you pay the legitimate import duty. So we're talking about the milk powder, carrying it across the border, you can get around the tax. But if you ship it into the country, even on a smaller postal amount, they usually catch you for the taxes. So I think, I think that's the opportunity that Amazon's working on for the Amazon China market, as well as they do have Amazon.cn as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I see I see it way more even um, just with stuff like Levi's and stuff like that, where if you can get hooked up with a um, legitimate U.S. brand and manufacturer and you can be their Chinese Amazon person, that sounds like something that most manufacturers may just hand right over to you because they have no idea what to do with it. They go, well, you want to handle our Amazon Chinese account? Or our Amazon China account? Well, that sounds like something that we have no idea about. We barely even know how our Amazon account works, let alone Amazon China. And if you're going to handle this, this sounds great. And you get on the bottom floor of an e-commerce website that's proven that it can execute on top of you now have this $1.3, $1.4 billion, um, I mean, billion-person market. And so I think that might be kind of a cool strategy moving forward is becoming brands official, a kind of Chinese online retailer, because they're going to eventually have to get over there um, someday. And it'd be awesome if you could be on the ground floor. Totally, totally. I mean, everybody's everybody dreams of the China market and it, it's getting more and more real. I mean, the Chinese consumers hungry for quality foreign brands like we've been discussing. Um do you, you, there's a few different ways to, to do that, right? I mean, do you think they should ship from the U.S. or from, should they localize? I mean, there's localization, of course. What are some suggestions? Or we we could both talk it out, too. Um, well, that, that's, that's what I was going to say, is that I'm, I'm wondering from your point of view, how price sensitive are these Chinese middle class consumers? Are they worried that if the Levi's cost $70 instead of 50 or if they're just saying, hey, Levi's cost money, a lot of money because they're an American brand, we're not really worried about the price? Yeah, I mean, well, there's middle class and then there's upper upper class. They're a little bit different. I don't want to offend any any rich Chinese listening, but I think they'd agree there's kind of these uh, farmer, there's even Chinese words like uh, tu hao, which means like earth, earth good. It's basically like these rich farmers. They got rich because they had lucky, like in Shenzhen. If you uh, own these fishermen villages like 30 years ago and you were just some uneducated guy that happened to be here, you're just like a million, millionaire, multi-millionaire, like so rich. They are, but they have no education. They're, they're fishermen, they're farmers. So there are a lot of these kind of like minted millionaires that didn't really, that were kind of like just in the right place at the right time, didn't really have to get education. Yeah. So those people are just, they have to hire like lawyers and really smart people to just be around them so they don't just blow all their money. They kind of like, kind of like a sports star, like NBA superstar yeah, or something. Or anyone who wins a lottery or anything. Like yeah. So it's kind of like those people. So uh, those people are a little bit almost annoying because obviously they don't have good hygiene and, 
they're kind of learning and, uh, but they'll spend money on anything, obviously. So obviously those are kind of ones that some people are totally amazed with. They, they travel overseas and they have not much manners and lots of money to spend and money's not a issue. And so that's some of those you might see are those people because real estate has been just going crazy, especially if you are really in a ground floor, like 20, 30 years ago. And I, I know, t- I know people that are just filthy rich just from real estate. So so the issue is you get these uneducated, really highly net worth individuals. And of course, they uh, there's a joke of the gold iPhone. Um, like you'll see those stories in the news of like a Chinese person that will buy like a, a plated gold iPhone for like whatever, the, you know, crazy valuation is. So um, those people will just buy anything. And of course, they the marketing, well, I think it's true too, is Western products, uh, I think just, you know, I think we'd all agree are usually still up till today are just better quality. And, you know, I don't think there's anybody being offended or disagree with that. So obviously if you know something's going to just be better and you don't have to worry about it too much, uh, you know, they're not so price sensitive. But of course you go into like the general, you know, billion people, they're kind of a little bit more reasonable and price, somewhat price sensitive, but I've talked to lots, tons of people always talk about, talk to me about selling in China and they, uh, they're asking like, do they have to ship the products into China and, and localize everything? And actually a lot of times, depending on the product, Chinese trust buying it from overseas anyways, even though it might cost more, they're just going to be feel much more safer that it's really the foreign product. Like my wife, uh, Stop bugging me. I was that sucker carrying milk powder across the border. I think I have some social media pictures to prove, but she finally bought off a Hong Kong English website. I think they translated Chinese, but she buys it in Hong Kong dollars and they they take care of shipping it into China. But she just feels better buying it off of that website um, than off of like a domestic Chinese e-commerce platform for sensitive products. And uh, it costs more. I had to convince her that it was my time and my hassle of carrying luggage across borders was worth the $5 more or whatever it was, stupid amount. But uh, I think they're, uh, they're learning about time is money and the hassle of trying to bargain and search for products. Um, so I would say they are willing to pay more and uh, just be sure that is what it is and that it's a, it's a quality good. Yeah, I think we're actually getting somewhere with this, with um, kind of thinking about when you're selling a product in a new market or any market, thinking about it holistically and not just looking at the stats, but thinking about it as like a human being too. And like you were saying, where it's like, okay, well, these this um, different milk powder could be, even if it's going to cost an arm and leg to import into um, China could be a huge seller if you say like purely American, 100% organic, like no um, chemicals used. And then two, same as that kind of thing where I'm trying to think of kind of like a more flashy consumer thing. But um, one of the things I always see now people wearing is like the like uh, Gucci and like Louis Vuitton belts. Yeah. yeah, if you've not seen that. And so it's kind of like, well, they, it's probably one of the cheaper items that Gucci or Louis Vuitton sell. But it's still a $275 belt. But it's just cheap enough that like if you got it as like your one big Christmas gift, it wouldn't be that crazy. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And like something like that where it's like I'm trying to think of like that perfect product where it's kind of flashy and 
brand wise that like the Chinese market would love it. But at the same time, it's not too pricey where you're not outpricing yourself. You're not making it so it's only available to the super rich. It's like there's this kind of perfect sweet spot, it seems like, for the Chinese consumer that I'm trying to kind of yeah. put my finger on. I, I always I think we've all seen those Chinglish T-shirts with the big letters that makes no yep. sense. So just having English at all on a product is a uh, looks good and uh, so you'll see sometimes that's why you'll see restaurants that have bad English because the owner doesn't even know how to write the English but by even having English on their marketing materials makes them look international makes them look more sophisticated I guess it's similar maybe I don't know about you but maybe me subconsciously I'll see French or maybe German letters at a restaurant and maybe even in the US but I'm kind of disconnected with that. But maybe that even seeing those letters makes it seem more genuine and real or international or, or kind of, you know, exotic maybe. But um, I think that's... Yeah, I, oh, I was gonna say, yeah, I heard a story of a guy who imported a bunch of um, wine fridges and wine coolers and um, the, he got the container in and they all had their temperature gauge in Celsius instead of Fahrenheit. And he marketed it as, would you ever want to put your French wine in a non-French yeah. wine cellar? Yeah, yeah. And so exactly kind of what you're saying, where it's like he used the kind of the French and um, German kind of or just European feel in general, even though we don't think of like, oh, Europeans make the best products ever. But from America, anything that seems foreign seems fancy. Well, I was just having Haagen-Dazs, which is so expensive in China. Um, which is actually an American brand, but they made it up, made it up, like made, picked a random, I'm going to mess up the country, Europe, somewhere in Europe, wherever Haagen-Dazs, the word comes from, but it was made in America. But of course they thought it would sound higher value if it's got a European name. And even in America, they could sell it for a premium. And in China, it's just nuts. It's just the price to price to value is way out of whack. But, uh, you know, so another trick for you, I got a friend that's a, Pretty power power seller going both ways on eBay and Amazon and on uh, like Taobao and other Chinese platforms. And he's really smart. He registers U.S. trademarks for brands he doesn't even expect or plan to sell in the U.S. and sells in China those products and puts the U.S. trademark logos on his listing page details in China to say it's a U.S. registered brand. Because I don't know if you ever looked at these Chinese listing pages, but a lot of times they'll have certificates. And if you ever see those factories, brochures, yeah. they have all the badges and similar things because it's all about trust in China. So they don't want to show they have all these. So you'll see him using that and say it's like a Western brand just because it's registered. And you know you know how it is. It's not that expensive to register a trademark online in the U.S. So, no, 100%. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah. stuff like I've that. Heard the same guy doing that. I've heard of the same guy doing that with uh, Russia. Same exact thing where you just go and file all these trademarks and no one has filed yet. Yeah. Even have you been to? Uh, you ever been to Target in Australia? No, I haven't. I'm, it's on my list, but I haven't been to Australia yet. Okay, well, if you go to if you go to a Target store in Australia, it has the red bullseye everything. But if you look up on Wikipedia, it's not actually Target. Someone oh. registered the Target brand in Australia, took the logos, took everything, oh, and just copied the product. It, it's a department store that everything's red and white. It's exactly a Target, but it's not actually Target Corporation. Oh, uh, yeah, I get what you mean. But I guess what I'm saying is he picked a random word, not a, actually. A oh, even better. <laughs> it's not even a recog- It's not a real brand. It's something he made up. So oh, he, I thought he was going and registering brands before I mean, they got a chance to. But no, that, he's doing just random words. 
Yeah, he's just doing it for the fact to show to Chinese that it's a famous brand in the U.S. When in actuality, he just registered a trademark and shows that. And they don't know. You know, you got to realize, obviously, well, it's the same like us in China a lot. We have no clue, like, what maybe could be famous. Somebody could just say it's famous in China, right? You know? Uh, exactly. So they, they market it as just a, a registered brand in America and it's famous. And here's the U.S. patent and trademark office is, you know— uh, certificate of approval of this brand and stuff like that. So it's all marketing, you know? Um, so no, he's not really, of course, I'm, those are squatters and there's stories of like iPads and uh, Teslas and stuff in China's getting their, their brands because uh, it's the first to file with trademarks in China. So anybody that can grab names can do it. But uh, no, this guy is just picking up words that he thinks are are maybe cool or and registering just a U.S. trademark just to show the Chinese consumer that it's a U.S. brand. And he can kind of spin it as it's famous or quality or something. No, I, I, I love any time someone takes advantage of the idea that like brands are worth something. <laughs> I come from I come from like the mentality that like all brands are worthless and that like I can care less what anything I buy with logos on it or anything like that. And so when someone can show a perfect case study of how worthless a brand actually is, that he just made up a word and all of a sudden now his products sell for 20% more, it's just shocking to me. It is. Um, I'm on both sides. I, I, I'm similar to you. I think you said it, you were speaking at the Global Sources Summit and uh, you said you buy on bulk black t-shirts. I mean, I'm similar. I have a uniform and stuff. And, uh, but, but I mean, at the same time, it depends on what kind of product I think we have to say, you know, there are, speci- oh, yeah. there is specialties, but, uh, I guess we're also in this Amazon world where people are just slapping logos and, uh, and selling it, you know, just spinning it. But, uh, it, you know, I, I understand both sides of the brand, um, brand wars or, um, but I'm more on your side. I, I guess it depends on the product, though. How sensitive. I, I recently started rock climbing, and nice. it's like one of the few times in my life where I've been like crazy brand brand centric. Mm, well, yeah, because I, it's like I can, all right, the caliber well, snaps. Save money on this. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, I can save money on this harness and rope, getting a private label version. But <laughs> was it really worth it when I died? <laughs> and so. The, that, that's kind of the interesting one where it's like, oh, so then again, it's something kind of for the listener to take away from. It's like, okay, well, there are certain products like drink coasters where quality doesn't matter mm. because it's a drink coaster. But if you're going to get into a product where quality is everything and it actually involves safety, then you're kind of in a totally different niche where you're not, again, the customer, me, is not price sensitive. You're not rock climbing because you're struggling to get by. You know, True. you're rock climbing because you literally have free time where you can go climb rocks. <laughs> and so, like, obviously, there's some sort of disposable income there. Yeah. And so don't they're not price sensitive. They're more worried about their life. Mm. True. And so, True. again, it's just one of these things where I'm always trying to um, explain to people kind of like the psychology behind why they buy stuff and why they feel that way about products. Because I think that can help just as much when looking for a product to sell and looking for a business to start as maybe even just – um using just like the analytics and like using software. Mm-mm, true. And we'll back to the baby powder too, you know, uh, similar idea. And uh, yep. yeah, good, good food for thought for listeners. So 
I guess uh, the listings should be localized. I'm not. I have to admit, I haven't haven't had like a U.S. listed product where I. Not sure if you can opt into the Amazon China from U.S., but the way it works and the Amazon China side is you could click the box like fulfilled from overseas, and you'll see the different flags meaning internationally shipped. And if you have the Amazon Prime, if you buy like twenty five or thirty U.S. dollars worth of goods, the shipping's free. But uh, the languages I searched in English, honestly, so I use my wife's account and uh but i search english in amazon china but of course probably to be most efficient for chinese customers you probably should localize your listings into chinese on amazon i'm not sure if you have any yeah i know for um other countries where i've i've talked to a woman who actually runs like a consulting firm where she will translate your listings into the different languages all over europe and so I think that they will do like an automatic translation to kind of help somewhat, like you were saying, you're searching in English. But um, for the most part, I think for you to get those real keywords that the customers actually search to find um, the product, I think that's going to be the most helpful. And so like an ex- uh, example I can give is like scotch tape, where they might translate it as like um, transparent one-sided tape. Mm. And you go, okay, yeah, transparent one-sided tape. <laughs> you you one hundred percent describe this product correctly. Like I cannot give you any fault for that. But anyone who searches is going to call it Scotch tape. Yeah, yeah. And so like that, that might be the kind of thing you might be missing out on if you don't have someone of the native tongue translate your listings. True. This always makes sense. I mean, um, you know, I'm not actually on e-commerce, but I remember listing. I, I had a UK fulfillment. Way back, man, like oh six, and uh, I was uh, just I put a German. I got the German top level domain of my brand, and I got the UK .co.uk. The UK, I didn't know if I should. Some people were actually upset at me because I had the Americanized English, and they were like upset at me on customer service because of that. And then, but the German customer service was insane. I was literally my team and I were just literally using Google Translate. Translate their messages into Google Translate back their uh, their uh, the response. So I'm wondering how people. I guess they'd have to have somebody on a team, or maybe they can get by. But I guess it's similar as selling anywhere internationally. But um, customer service in China. I mean, I'm wondering how that would work. Well, it's not only the customer service in China. It's like, can you get a employee too in China? who can kind of like connect the dots, think outside the box and realize that they're getting some of the same questions over and over again and tell you something about it, mm. you know, cause it's like, it's one thing if you have a uh, employee in China sitting there doing your customer service, it's another thing if you get a proactive employee who goes, Hey, this is the fifth time I've answered a call about shipping something late. Is something wrong with the fulfillment center? What's going on here? Mm, that's true. Common sense. And so that, that that's yeah. worth its weight in gold. It's true, right? Like what you and I think is common sense, but actually in, in a in a in a sometimes in in a team is is uh, definitely a ch- sometimes an exception, right? To encourage people to think outside the box and tell you when something doesn't make sense. I was talking to a guy who said he finds his best employees over in China at um, restaurants. Nice. Because he says if he says says something like, "Hey, can you actually do cherry coke instead of like diet coke?" And if they just sit there and just grab his Coke, 
no questions asked, go figure it out. And even if they don't have Terry Koki, just add some grenadine to it or whatever. He goes, okay, well, if that person just goes and solves problems without asking for permission, that's the kind of person I want on my team. Nice. Makes sense too. I guess it's a good excuse to go to bars and restaurants in China. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Recruitment. Yeah. But yeah, no, but it, it's just so true over in China where if you just tell them, hey, answer all these customer service emails, they're going to do that to a T. But they're not going to realize that their responsibilities could be growing and that they could actually influence the way customer service is done, not just the way that like not just follow the process every time. Totally agree. So very cool. Um, let's let's maybe talk some. I mean, I've been enjoying this so far. How about some pitfalls? Maybe what people could could do to avoid some some of this international expansion or Asia expansion. I think we're kind of already been going all over the exact pitfalls is that um, take it seriously and get someone like you or someone who actually knows the culture slash somewhat of the language. If you're going to go into a market, I feel like I feel like even like a 30 minute informational interview of like, hey, so the customers buy online in this in this country. Okay, what kind of products do they buy online? Okay, do they is their credit card safe there or do they buy through WhatsApp? You know what I'm saying? Like all these kind of just quick questions that you could just get out of the way and it would make it so you have that much better of a chance in all these international foreign markets opposed to just going in blind. And then I end up trying to sell a Chinese branded milk powder because I think it's going to work well with the Chinese market if I pretend I'm a Chinese brand and it goes terribly. True, true. Yeah, exactly. Like just do a little bit of homework before you just throw something up on, you know, in a new market. Although there's good and bad of both, you know, testing, at least the worst is not to send a ton of inventory and that, and then find out later it's the wrong. The 100%. Wrong but it, it, it's always with the testing, it's like, do you know what you're testing? Because sometimes people just throw stuff up and they're like, oh, I'm testing or I'm just MVP or whatever. And it's like, okay, what specifically are you testing? Are you just testing demand? Are you testing price point? Are you testing your supplier to see if they can shift you on time? It's kind of you're testing everything at once. And so make sure you have some sort of um, measurable so you know if you did a good job or not. You know if it's successful or not. Yeah, totally, totally. All right, Will, so what have you been up to? Sorry, at the beginning, I didn't, we didn't dive so deep. I know, I guess I assume some people know what you're up to, but uh, maybe, maybe some ways people could connect with you online or find out what, more what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can find me pretty easily online. I got a pretty unique last name. Um, but the what I've been up to lately is consulting for like bigger and like publicly traded companies. I've been running there. I got a few companies under a belt and then a few slightly smaller companies where we manage their Amazon account, optimize everything, um, make sure everything's kind of perfect, increase sales, all that kind of stuff. And it's uh, been super interesting because it's kind of looking at the whole Amazon private label marketplace, but from a totally different lens with people who actually have tons of money and own their factories over in China. And so it's kind of a totally different way um, than the bootstrapped selling out of your garage point of view. True. Yeah. I mean, you've had some fast, I've caught you at a few different, uh, you know, speeches and you have some pretty interesting and sometimes scary perspectives to some private label sellers, but that's another that's another topic. <laughs> that's a long one, but it's really it's really cool. How about a how about any websites or blogs or I guess just search Google or I can link it up on the show notes. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, if you go to um, goatconsulting.com, that's the um, that's the website that we're currently consulting under. 
Um, we got some pretty decent blog posts on there. We're working on some actually pretty cool ones that I actually think are going to add value that aren't just for like SEO. Um, and so we, we're working on that. Um, trying to think of what else I'm up to. I got a, I got a podcast hopefully coming out semi soon, trying to just do more and more like webinars, trying to do, we got an Amazon meetup in the Minneapolis area, if anyone's listening. So I'm doing all sorts of things, every different medium you can imagine from audio to video to just a spoken word, everything I'm trying to get out there. So if you, if you search my name, you'll find something. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. I'm taking some notes too. And, and, uh, so thanks so much for coming on, Will. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. And, uh, anytime. Sure. Uh, thank you, Will, for sharing. I know he was in Minneapolis when we recorded, but I've already seen him posting on social. He's in Berlin and Europe and traveling all over the place. I guess it got too cold in Minneapolis. I, I agree with him. And uh, I'm happy to have him on the show. And I'm excited to see globalization with e-commerce and breaking down these borders. I'm not going to get political, but it seems like other you know governments are all about putting borders up and banks are all about putting borders up. But let's see if technology, innovation, e-commerce can break these borders down. I just wonder when we can 3D print all this stuff and print it in our uh, offices instead of having it mass-produced, thousand-piece MOQ shipped on across the world. Maggie's here. Okay, she just got pulled away. And we will, uh, you know, see you know shipping stuff all around the world, putting it in boxes in a warehouse, paying truckers to ship it to your house, and all that stuff. It just seems really bit stupid to me to be honest and time was going to come it will be 3d printed and drones delivering it and you know all this kind of stuff or just in time inventory and i'm sure amazon's still gonna be the one serving the end customer because that's that's the place to be so best of luck to everybody in your businesses and i will see you next week i hope you're enjoying the chinese new year and a fun little fact i spent many of these chinese new years in china caving as we called it which was just kind of hiding out in my apartment watching movies and not really doing anything. Everything is shut down, especially in Shenzhen. Everybody's out of town uh, in their hometowns. And uh, maybe it was just also like fixing up websites too and stuff for fun. But now with a full family, don't get those bachelor bachelor times anymore. But different kind of fun. And uh, they're in the other room waiting for me. So talk to you guys later. See you next week. Bye-bye. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.